Time has produced some of the most incredible humans to walk the face of this planet we call home. People who've endured the most harrowing ordeals, pushing their body to the extreme. Whether it's plane crashes, abduction, jungle survival, or even medical anomalies, we explore them all. Who are these people? What happened? Where are they now? Join us to find out. Not me, not today podcast. Hey guys, it's Leisha and Kenny here, and welcome to another episode of Not Me, Not Today podcast. Hi everyone, thanks for listening. I just wanted to give a massive shout out to everyone who sent us messages and emails after the last two episodes were released. We really appreciate it. Keep them coming. Yeah, thanks so much guys. Really glad you're enjoying the podcast, and if you haven't gotten in touch with us yet, we'd love to hear from you. As you know by now, on Not Me, Not Today podcast, we don't just talk about the survivor and their story. We also talk about what they did after their ordeal and what they're doing now. In light of this, we actually reached out to this amazing person and she let us know of an organisation she's working with that's very close to her heart. But we'll touch on that later. Well, that just leaves me with one question. Leisha, what's the story? I have a medical survivor story today about Gina Gysi. She's the first ever unvaccinated rabies survivor. Inspired by a documentary I watched and my familiarity with rabies, I wanted to cover the story about this medical marvel. Sounds good. Let's do this. Gina was born in 1989 to her mother Anne and her father John Giese. They lived in America in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. Growing up, Gina was an animal lover and was forever bringing home rabbits and ducklings to nurse back to health. She was also an A-grade student. Gina was really into sports, but in particular, she excelled when it came to volleyball, earning her the nickname Gina the Machina. Gina the Machina, that's so cool. It's a great nickname. So fast forward now to Sunday morning, September 12th, 2004, and Gina and her mother Anne went to church. They attended the mass service, and whilst they were there, they noticed a bat was flying erratically above them, swooping down onto the congregation. It started in the rectory and made its way into the main part of the church. The bat kept banging into the stained glass windows, but kept missing the open ones. You know what bats are like, they fly pretty erratically. Several people swatted at it with their church pamphlets and hats, unsuccessfully, until the usher finally knocked it to the ground. The bat landed at Gina's feet. Gina the Machina decided to pick up the bat by the tips of its wings and carry it outside. She'd asked her mother for permission to pick up the bat because she thought it would be cool to handle one. Sorry, no way. If that bat fell at my feet, picking it up would not be my first reaction. Right? But she does. And here it is. When she gets outside, the bat bit her on the left forefinger. She let it go and it still hung onto her finger, so she had to fling it away. There were children nearby and she was conscious not to scream because she didn't want to scare them. Gina then went back inside the church to join her mother and continue with the service. When it was over and they got home, her parents helped her to clean the bite wound with soap and water. They described it as a pinprick or a paper cut size. They didn't seek any further medical treatment. Her parents, in fact, said that rabies wasn't even something that entered their minds. Can I just stop this for a second to talk about the fact that a 14-year-old girl not only picked up a wild bat off the floor of the church, but got bitten by it, didn't scream or make a fuss, and then she just casually walked back inside to finish her prayers? She was a machiner, to be fair. It's madness. (laughs) 
Well, they continued life on as usual until a month later, and Gina experienced tingling in her arm. Her parents tried to think what it might be, and at first thought it was a trapped nerve. About a week later, she started to suffer from fatigue and flu-like symptoms. Her hand was starting to jerk, and her speech was starting to slur. Yeah, when I think of rabies, the first thing I think of is foaming at the mouth, like that movie Cujo. What movie is that? Oh, if anyone hasn't seen this, they should Google Cujo, C-U-J-O. Uh, it was a movie about a mad dog with rabies that goes on a rampage in a small town. It was absolutely heinous. Ooh, sounds delightful. Yeah, poor Cujo. Well, not everybody knows the signs and symptoms of rabies, so I just want to go through them now for anybody who isn't aware. The earlier symptoms of rabies are things like high temperature, headaches, feeling anxious or generally unwell, and discomfort at the sight of the bite. The later symptoms are confusion, aggressive behaviour, seeing or hearing things, hypersalivating, muscle spasms, difficulty swallowing or breathing, and eventually paralysis and death. It's not a virus you want to have. The way they die is pretty horrific. Oof. If you get bitten by a rabbit animal, you need to be vaccinated before the symptoms show, and the earlier, the better. At the time of 2004, Rabies was known to be 100% fatal to humans. The vaccine protocol consists of four vaccines, two sets of two a few weeks apart. So you need to basically act immediately on this to have a chance. Yeah. And just to recap, a month has gone by since the bite. Gina didn't receive any medical attention or vaccinations after she was bitten by the bat. And now she's experiencing tingling in her arm, slurred speech, fatigue, and flu-like symptoms. These progressively got worse, and on October 18th, 2004, Gina was rushed to the local ER with a fever, double vision, and hypersalivation. A story she gave on her experiencing double vision was when she was playing volleyball against their big rivals. It was the last game of the season. They were warming up, and she had someone pass the ball to her, and she saw two balls. She remembers nothing of what happened after that game. The doctors were running all kinds of tests trying to determine what might be causing this issue. Remember, the bat bite was a month ago and the size of a pinprick. They didn't give it too much thought then and it wasn't at the forefront of their minds at this point. They were terrified it could have been some sort of bacterial disease or a different virus. At what point did they link the whole thing to the bat bite? Well, it wasn't until all the tests kept coming back negative that Gina's mother finally remembered the incident with the bat. According to Gina's mother, Anne, the doctor's face turned white when she mentioned it. He was in shock and terrified for her. The local doctor realised he needed help. Some backup was in order. Yes. Well, Gina was then referred to the intensive care unit of the Children's Hospital in Milwaukee. She was passed into the care of Dr. Rodney Willoughby, head of infectious diseases at the hospital. Dr. Willoughby was surprised upon learning Gina's condition and that she was being transferred into his care. He'd never had a rabies patient in his care before. It's rare in America and he was ignorant to the true extent of the disease. As we mentioned before, once you start showing symptoms, you're pretty much a goner. You have about two weeks or less. So scary. He went on a frantic search to find the cure. He sent samples of her spinal fluid to the CDC for confirmation. 
He consulted with his colleagues and tried to avoid medical books. I have a quote from him here. We had to devise a strategy to quickly figure out what we might do to treat this. I decided not to read about how to treat rabies. There are a lot of articles on how to treat it, but no one survives. So why read those? Fair play to him. Whilst he waited, Gina started to hypersalivate and subsequently was placed on a breathing machine. Dr. Willoughby decided to assess the virus and its mode of action, trying to predict its next move. He found a paper that stated that the virus neither kills by destroying neurons or causing inflammation, but instead causes excitotoxicity. It left the brain undamaged, but destroyed the rest of the body. Excitotoxicity? That sounds like a system of a down song or something. <laughs> what is excitotoxicity? Well, excitotoxicity is basically when the brain neurons are damaged by overactivation and cause the cells to die. Almost like an electrical short, it overwhelms the nervous system, scrambles the messages and excites the nerves until it shuts down all the vital organs. Okay. So Dr. Willoughby, along with his associates, created a protocol to try and save Gina's life. This is now known as the Milwaukee Protocol. The protocol was essentially to put Gina into a coma, slowing her brain and allowing her body to build up an immune response and fight the rabies. If they slowed the brain, it would slow the virus. Wow. This had never been done before, and with it being Gina's only chance, they took the idea to her parents, just 30 minutes after finalising the never-done-before protocol. Knowing the outcome of doing nothing, aka she dies, they agreed. Another quote from him here. Gina's parents were remarkably altruistic in recognising that it was going to be a fatal disease and maybe we could learn something for the next person. Sort of by releasing Gina, essentially, I think they got her back. That was pretty selfless of Gina's parents, don't you think? Definitely. I'm not sure all parents these days would trust a doctor to come up with a brand new protocol to help their sick kid. I know, right? It must have been so scary. And apparently, it's anything but a peaceful death. Strapped down, writhing, until eventually your body shuts down and you die. Oh my god. Seems like Dr. Willoughby was their only hope. He was. On October 19th, 2004, Gina was placed into the coma using a cocktail of drugs. Ketamine, to calm the brain and ward off the rabies, it had been successfully used in a 1992 clinical trial in combating rabies in rats. And midazolam was then used to complement the ketamine and help to stop hallucinations. Gina remained in the coma for six days. In a coma so deep, she was just a hair's breadth away from death. She was then given antivirals, ribavirin and amantadine. Six days after she was first induced, a spinal tap revealed Gina's body was producing antibodies and fighting back. In only six days? Wow. Yes. They were stunned, and then on October 28th, Gina was taken fully out of her coma, but she appeared brain dead, with only pupillary reflex. Dr. Willoughby was terrified that he created locked-in syndrome. That's where your brain's still active, but your body doesn't respond, right? Yes. You're fully aware, you can see, you can hear, but your body doesn't work like you can't speak or swallow or move at all. For me, that's the next worst thing to being buried alive. <sighs> wow. <laughs> So Gina wasn't moving or responding to pain. Dr. Willoughby thought she was in a vegetative state and stated that it was the worst day of his life. Two days after being brought out of the coma, Gina opened her eyes and could move them. 
Two days after that, she could raise her eyebrows, which gave Dr. Willoughby a glimmer of hope, but he wanted to put it to the test. During the time that Gina was in hospital, all of her medical team and family wore PPE, like gowns and masks. Dr. Willoughby wanted to see if Gina was able to recognise her mother. They both stood at the side of her bed and removed their masks, which they both had to wear as PPE. And Dr. Willoughby watched as Gina looked at them both, but kept looking at her mother. This gave them hope that she was still in there. Slowly, they started to notice improvements in Gina's condition. She managed to regain the reflexes in her knees. And then one day when the nurse went to suction her mouth, amazingly, Gina was able to open it to help. Oh my God. I know this has already happened, but come on, Gina. I know. So intense. Well, in an interview for the documentary, she said that whilst she was in there and slowly getting the motion back, she couldn't speak or make any noise. That must have been so weird, so frustrating. I literally can't even imagine it. Well, when her friend or her mum went to clean her mouth or brush her teeth, she would scream, but no sound came out. Just her mouth moving and tears streaming down her face. They did a test to see her B-complex vitamin levels and found that they were a little low, so gave her a tetrahydrobiopterin similar to the B-complex vitamin she was lacking. This boosted her serotonin and dopamine levels, which are needed to perform the motor functions, such as speaking and limb movement. And on November 13th, Gina had her breathing tube removed. So how long after she was admitted was she able to breathe on her own? Well, she came out of the coma on October 28th, so it was about two weeks later after that. Okay. And on January 1st, 2005, Gina was released from hospital, where she received rehabilitation therapy for another two years, having to relearn and fine-tune everything. Her muscles were so tight from the spasming prior to the coma and the slight wastage whilst in the coma that the physiotherapy was tough. She also had to relearn to speak and communicate. She was stuck to a wheelchair and then had to learn to crawl to get places for independence. Then Gina slowly started to take her first steps. It was like having a baby again, her father said. But what made it bearable each day was that she would accomplish something new. The perseverance and patience you would need. You'd have to be so strong to get through that. Oh, I couldn't. What were the main long-term side effects then? Well, Gina went on to have some movement issues. Things like coordination delays and leaning to one side more than the other or trouble keeping centred. Unfortunately, this meant she wasn't able to play sports anymore, which is something that still upsets her mother to this day, as it does with Gina. She did physiotherapy with horses and it gave her a sense of balance and confidence. And two years later, she actually got her driver's licence. Nice. She even got to go to her homecoming ball two years later because she missed it during the rabies ordeal, her senior homecoming dance. That's so nice. Right? Well, Gina went on to study biology and graduate from college in May 2011. Whilst she was in college, she was something of a scientific celebrity. However, it wasn't something she offered up straight away with people of her own age. She kept it on a need-to-know basis. But you know what school is like, she still became the rabies girl. Oh. It probably didn't help 
that a TV camera was there to capture her first day. No way. <laughs> People could be so mean sometimes. You have to respect her though for getting on with it and getting back involved in school and getting into college as well. So much respect for Gina. Well, check this out. When she was in college, she wanted to do her thesis on rabies. Her college professors tried to get her to do it on something else and learn something new. So eventually they reached a compromise. She wrote about a disease known as white noise syndrome, which is a fungus that's wiping out bats, killing thousands of them in Northeast Americas. Wow, that reminds me of you, the Annie Kopka and her bats. Doesn't it? Gina, however, still that forever compassionate person, saved seven chicks from her science class after they were learning about gestational development with fertilized chicken eggs. She was afraid that they'd just be thrown away. So when it was done, she asked for them and they agreed. A nice touch to this story is that Dr. Rodney Willoughby attended Gina's graduation with her parents and got to see Gina walk across the stage and receive her degree. Oh, that must have been a really emotional day for them all. It was. It was so cool that he was there. Well, Gina also went on to do motivational speaking about her story and raising awareness about rabies and animal safety. She has gone around the world speaking on these subjects and raising awareness. And now this is really nice. Gina got married on Saturday, September 20th, 2014 to her now husband, Scott, and they went on to have three beautiful children. Gina even spent part of their honeymoon in Ann Arbor, Michigan, speaking at a bat festival. What? <laughs> well, Gina still, the I feel, ever aptly named Machina, continues to speak and works with animals and horses, helping disabled children with therapy horses. And because she loves animals so much, she also has a menagerie of her own animals at home. Does she have any bats? <laughs> I highly doubt it, but from what I've read, she's not afraid of them. She actually wears a bat necklace all the time. Oh, that's so cool. Well, now I want to tie up some loose ends and discuss the Milwaukee Protocol and why it's essentially an ethical dilemma and so controversial. The Milwaukee Protocol was tested on a further 41 patients. And of those, only six survived. Of those six, two died in rehabilitation once leaving the intensive care unit, which aren't great odds. Interestingly, most of the survivors were under 18. But surely if the death rate was 100% beforehand, that's better than nothing, right? Which is essentially what Dr. Willoughby's stance was. However, there has since been evidence of people surviving rabies without vaccinations or the Milwaukee Protocol. Oh, right. New research led by Amy Gilbert of the US CDC found that seven of 63 people evaluated tested positive for rabies antibodies. Of those seven, only one had the vaccine. This meant that the others had produced antibodies on their own after being exposed to the virus and had survived. However, some scientists believe that they'd been exposed to a weakened strain of the virus, and until more research is done, we won't be able to understand why some survive the Milwaukee Protocol and some don't. Dr. Willoughby has expressed his wishes to test his protocol on animals, but no research has yet been carried out. But I just want to throw something in there, and maybe this is more of a personal opinion, but to only have ever had one rabies patient in your entire career until that point and create a new protocol that saved that only patient 
is nothing to be sniffed at. That's pretty darn impressive to me. Very impressive. Kudos to Dr. Willoughby and his perseverance as well. Um, mm -hmm. Was Gina just lucky then, or did the protocol actually work? Well, the theory is that the patients need to produce antibodies on the first day for it to be viable. But until more research is done, we'll never know. If you want to watch the documentary, which covers vastly more about rabies itself and rabies in the third world, you can watch it on YouTube. It's called The Girl Who Survived Rabies. It's about 45 minutes long, and you can also Google the Milwaukee Protocol and read up on it and Gina's story. But as we mentioned, we have a lovely little surprise for you all too. So we actually reached out to Gina and got in contact with her. We asked her if she had any organization close to her heart that she would like us to promote. She responded and has given us that organization. Thank you, Gina. Thank you, Gina. They are Whisper Hill Clydesdale's special needs. They're committed to providing individuals the opportunity to reach their full potential through personal growth and fulfillment with the aid of horses and farm animals. Their programs are designed to foster nurturing interactions between their guests and the animals residing at the farm. So nice. They are a non-profit organization that rely on donations and volunteers. We will attach their Facebook page onto our Facebook page, Instagram and Twitter, and there you can find information on how to donate, or if you live nearby, you can volunteer. That's Whisper Hill Clydesdale Special Needs. They're doing some great work over there, so please go and check them out. So that's it for today, guys. I hope you enjoyed the story of Gina Giese, who's made the absolute most at her second chance at life. That is tremendous. She really has. Really impressive to see. Great story. It's a great story. If you'd like to hear more, you can subscribe on wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. Yeah, and check out our Instagram, Facebook and Twitter pages as well. Give us a like and a follow. Just search for Not Me, Not Today podcast, Not Me, Not Today PC on Twitter. If you want to check out our website, you can go to www.notmenottodaypodcast.com. If you'd like to send us an email, we'd love to hear from you. Notmenottodaypodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, stay alive. Bye. Bye. Not Me, Not Today podcast.